Welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of MedTech. everybody, welcome back to the show. Another exciting crowdfunding episode. I've been loving doing these uh, crowdfunding episodes mainly because, well, you know, if you're like me, I love medtech, I love startups, and so this is uh, one of those opportunities where you can directly invest in a company and get equity in it without being an accredited investor. Um, but as always, I always have to remind people and warn them that, hey, these crowdfunding investments, they are high risk. Obviously, uh, with high risk comes very high return and reward, but please keep that in mind. Uh, the nature of this episode is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. This is not financial advice by any means. So that being said, let's get right into it. So I want you to imagine a world where musculoskeletal implants are as strong and endurable as diamonds. Okay, so that actually is possible now because of a company called Dimacron and their game-changing technology. And so the pioneers behind this company, Dr. Bill Pope, a material science expert, and Bao Wen, uh, who's a PhD in biomedical engineer, uh, were essentially united by a vision to revolutionize the spinal implant industry, and they created something really extraordinary. They created what's called Triadime C, which is Dimacron's diamond-like spinal implant. So essentially it's made from a polycrystalline diamond and this implant is a fusion of superior material science and innovative engineering because these days, you know, a lot of spinal implants over a lot of wear and tear and, and time sometimes have to be replaced, right? And with over 65 million Americans suffering from back pain, spinal implants play a critical role in treatment, but traditional implants, as I mentioned, they can wear out or cause complications. And that's where the Triadime C shine, uh, technology shines. Uh, Triadime C essentially boasts really exceptional durability, biocompatibility, and wear resistance, which means fewer complications, reduced pain, and you know higher quality of life for patients. Plus, it has a very unique design that ensures a perfect fit, right, which minimizes the risk of device-related issues. Now, Dimacron's dedication to this has earned them numerous awards and recognitions, plus they boast about 83 patents, which is really exciting. They've secured a little over $60 million in funding and decided to go the route of crowdfunding because one, it's just a, another fantastic vehicle to raise money and more importantly, raise it through the public. So if you're interested, I highly recommend you go check out their website, which is invest.dimacron, spelled D-Y-M-I-C-R-O-N.com. That's invest.dimacron.com. You know, again, uh, these are very risky investments, right? I want you to keep that in mind. That being said, let me give you my perspective on what I like about them. Number one is that for any company, I always look for companies that have a very unique angle and potentially can make a category, right? It's the first diamond disc replacement, right? It's the first time that, you know, the material science around polycrystalline diamonds are being used in this way. I love companies like that, you know, because they can essentially create their own category. And when you create your own category, it's very easy to attract 
early adopters for this, which is what you need to drive mass market adoption for anything. You know, the next thing is they actually have 83 patents, right? So I have a very, very strong patent portfolio. And it makes sense because their founders come from a heavy uh, uh, academic background, they're material scientists. So they, 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 you know, <laughs> they did a probably a really good job with having a super tight patent portfolio, which again, these days, if you think about med tech companies, it's very difficult to survive alone. Most medtech companies, if not all of them, are designed to stay private or get acquired or go public and get acquired. So I like that because for strategic, think about Medtronic, Stryker, Zimmer, you know, Globus, the, you know, the, the list goes on, right? This could potentially be a great acquisition target for them. And from my perspective, right, they've already done a little over 500 plus successful cases. Now, those are all... Um, international cases but that's at least for me when it comes to like an investment i think it's exciting right just because that that says like hey there's a lot of potential for their commercial launch to be very successful especially if there is a lot of uh interest and and demand for this kind of an implant again i want to remind you this show is not uh financial advice is not investment advice purely for educational and entertainment purposes only. I'm not uh, you know, a professional investor. I'm just a guy who really loves medtech startups and loves new technology. So on the show today, I have Ted Bird, who's their chief strategy officer. And I'm very proud to say he's also a member uh, of the Medical Sales Network Effects program. I'm very proud of that. He's done a fantastic job telling the story of Dimecron on LinkedIn. So Ted's background is fantastic. He started off uh, early on as a sales associate, but worked his way through the industry at different roles from product management at Boston Scientific, uh, product director at J&J, and of course, um, you know, getting his first leadership role as a VP of Global Marketing, Medical Education, and Emerging Technology at Sophomore Danik, which you all uh, recall was one of the most famous acquisitions from Medtronic. That really was a big technology play for Medtronic. You know, from there, he served other uh, leadership roles, such as VP of Field Marketing Strategic Development for Spine over at Depew, and then spent uh, a significant amount of time, over seven years, at Orthofix, where he served at various leadership roles, his most recent being the president of Spinal Implants Division. Outside of that, Ted served various leadership roles from chief commercial officer over at Titan Spine to serving as board member for a variety of different companies due to his experience in the spinal implant industry. So with that being said, here's our episode with chief strategy officer of Dimicron, Ted Bird. And again, be sure to go and read and check out their investment. They will be closing their crowdfunding round soon, I believe in the next month or two. And so you can check them out at invest.dimicron.com. You'll see all the information there. And if you're a clinician, don't forget to unlock your free CME credit. That's right. You get an AMA PRA category one CME credit by listening to this episode. Just listen to the episode, click the link in the show notes below, and then take 10, 15 seconds to write down what you learned and reflect on it and unlock your free AMA PRA category one CME credit. And now let's get on to our episode of Dimacron with Chief Strategy Officer Ted Bird. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the State of MedTech, and I have another fantastic company on our equity crowdfunding series. So for many of you who know, I come from the spine world, that's where I started my career, and so it's always exciting to see 
um, a new company doing something very different in the space of implants. You know, when it comes to spinal implants, it's one of the most important. It's kind of the bedrock of all spine procedures, but there's a lot of like me too companies, me too implants, everything. So when something new comes along, I, you know, generally get pretty excited about it. Uh, Ted bird has been a friend of mine for a long time from the industry. He's been an industry vet for a while. So he is the chief strategy officer over at Dimacron. So I have him on the show to talk a little bit more about who Dimacron is. And of course, um, the opportunity to get involved with them. Just as a reminder, Dimacron has a equity crowdfunding campaign going right now. You can find more about them at invest.dimacron, spelled D-Y-M-I-C-R-O-N.com. So Ted, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Omar. Thanks for having me on. Excited to chat with you. Absolutely. And maybe just for context for our audience, like um, if you can give a quick 30-second high level about you and your background and uh, kind of dovetail that into like what brought you to to Dimacron because you've been in a lot of different companies. So many people are probably wondering with somebody with your experience, what attracted you to this opportunity? Absolutely. So I've been in orthopedics and spine for over 30 years. I mean, actually orthopedics almost 40 years. So uh, I'm an industry uh, insider, uh, work for the big companies, you know, the, the Johnson and Johnson's, the Medtronic's, some of the mid-sized companies like uh, Orthofix, uh, you know, publicly traded companies. But uh, more in recent years, uh, smaller startup uh, and emerging technology companies has been my focus. Um, really enjoy the, the innovation, uh, helping bring disruptive technology to the marketplace. And that's what brought me to Dimacron a couple of years ago when a friend of mine who I'd worked with at Medtronic uh, years ago um, left Medtronic and joined this company in Utah. I asked him to show me the product and the technology. And it was one of those times that we all remember in our career where you're stopped in your tracks and you look at it and say, wow, that's different. Tell me more. How can I help? And that's uh, what brought me to this company based on the space they're in and the unique technology they have. Got it. Now, before we get into the technology, and it is very interesting tech, um, why did you guys choose to go the equity crowdfunding route versus the more traditional route where you raise money from like institutional investors or venture capitalists or strategics? Why, why equity crowdfunding? That's a great question, Omar. And I really just learned about equity crowdfunding, this new channel for capital fundraising a couple of years ago at the LSI meeting in Dana Point, California, where the Congress, you know, the U.S. government had changed the rules for this uh, venue for private companies to raise money online, and they raised the the cap uh, the cap ceiling limits for private companies. And someone was educating me on that that you know without being SEC qualified, they raised it from a million dollars a year up to five million, and for an SEC qualified uh, online raise from ten million to seventy five million a year, pretty significant uh, amount of capital, and you can go to unaccredited investors and get your story. And so I became a student. I started to look at the, the space, followed the companies that were in the space, and there weren't that many med tech companies. It's still, still today fairly early for med tech. But the reason why I was interested and convinced the board of directors at Dimacron is because any med tech company that uh, there's two uh, areas of challenge for, for institutional capital, VCs, uh, private equity, even, you know, high net worth family office investors, 
Spine is a difficult place to raise money. There's been a lot of uh, venture money, institutional capital that has gotten burned in Spine in the past. So they have a, a bit of a, a leery view of the space. Secondly, if you have a class three product that needs to go through a PMA IDE study, that timeline and that risk profile is not well suited, at least to VCs in today's environment. So uh, those are two areas that Dimicron, we have a class three product that to get uh, uh, cleared in the U.S. market is going to require a PMA IDE study uh, and, uh, and being a spine company. So most of the VCs that I, that I talked to in the first year at Dimicron were more oriented towards growth capital. You know, once you've got a regulatory approval and you want to grow um, to take it to the next level and, and look for an exit within three years or, or less, that was more interesting. So it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult time also in 2022, late 2022, and now in 2023, the current economic and financial, you know, environment, you know, has turned with, with, with inflation going up, with VCs, you know, being challenged with, with Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you know, going going out in the beginning of this year, that made it even more difficult. So um, we started this process a year ago, but clearly it, it the advantages are you get to get out into the marketplace online, which is today's real channel to get the word out on your company marketing anyway, which is your specialty, Omar. And um, there's a double benefit of being able to raise money, but also raise your profile as an organization, as a company. And that many times, and this has been proven, will unearth or uncover a, a potential investor, even an institutional investor that's interested in your space, interested in your tech or implant and company, and, and may want to partner. So there's kind of double double benefit. And a third benefit is individual investors, if, if the story resonates, uh, many of them have the problem that your company solves with, with your technology. And so right. you, you develop a fan base of people that are interested that know that it's going to solve their problem or a friend or a family's problem. And they become really loyal, really uh, active investors. Yeah. And I think that's one of the exciting things about equity crowdfunding is, um, you know, more importantly, is not giving up control of the company, but then also uh, essentially getting a, uh, you know, a tribe of people who really believe in the product and will help with driving product adoption awareness. So that being said, before we talk about, you know, what the funds are going to be used and everything, let's start with the first, you know, question, which is like, what does Dimicron do? Why is it called Dimicron? What's the problem you guys solve? Yeah. So the Dimicron story is, is very interesting. It, it started with the founder who was not in the med tech space, who was a biomaterials expert. Uh, a university professor at BYU who invented the process to produce man-made diamond or better known as polycrystalline diamond and to uh, create a manufacturing process to produce this material uh, you know, reliably. So he, uh, he invented this material, this process to develop it and to form different products and was very, very successful in the mining, deep earth mining space. So uh, he and his colleagues, you know, uh, started for several very successful companies that put tungsten carbide drill bits in deep earth mining out of business and uh, made a lot of money in that space. 
moved or pivoted to uh, MedTech and created Dimacron based on a neighbor telling him that he was going to the hospital to get an artificial hip replaced, a revision operation. And he didn't know much about, you know, orthopedics or about uh, med tech or hips, but he said, you know, he's an entrepreneur. So the light bulb went on. He's like, if, if I made your hip out of my diamond material, you would never have to go back for another operation. So that became his driving purpose and vision to create orthopedic implants that would never, uh, the patient would never have to go back for a revision as long as everything else went well, surgical technique, you know, the surgeon, you know, pick the right patient, et cetera. But the, it wouldn't be a failure because of the material. So Omar, he started in hips and they developed a, a total hip initially and then pivoted to spine about 10 years ago when he was introduced to a PhD spine engineer that had developed a unique biomechanical articulating design for the implant, which is a three lobe and three pockets articulation. Very different than a typical ball and socket, you know, articulation that we all are used to seeing in either a knee or a hip. And um, that combination of the trilobe, which is a much more uh, natural uh, motion profile, more similar or mimicking the normal anatomic disc than a ball and socket or other, you know, uh, design that's available today, uh, combined with the polycrystalline diamond that you can't produce wear debris on, no matter how, how hard we've tried, you just can't, it'll, it'll last for 10 million cycles or more in the testing, which is 400 plus human years of, of normal daily living. So it's going to, statement I use is last beyond a patient's lifetime. And um, that uh, that's what it's all about. It solves a material problem and it solves a uh, an engineering or design problem. Interesting. And so just to kind of repeat that back, so like the 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 materials problem is that you guys use that polycrystalline diamond, which is man-made diamond. So it's extremely tough. It's not going to need to be replaced. So, you know, for people who are new to spine surgery, that does happen where the discs uh, or the implants do need to be replaced because of wear and tear. Is that correct? That's correct. Now, artificial discs in, in the spine are fairly new. You know, they've really only been around the last 15 years or so. So, you know, it, it you know, generally uh, the materials used today, ultra uh, or plastics and metals uh, or ceramics, uh, might last, you know, longer than the, the 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 time that these products have been out so far, but there have been problems of these materials uh, coming apart or the design of the the implant uh, coming apart and creating what's called osteolysis, which is a the body's reaction when these um, polyethylene plastics are uh, exposed. And 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 uh, debris, wear debris that does occur, gets into the body. Osteolysis creates inflammation, that then leads to loosening of the implant. This is very common in hips and knees that have been around much longer, fifty years plus. And so, in the total knee or total hip business, you know, people in the industry refer to it as, oh yeah, you need to go in for an oil change. You know, it's time to get your your hip replaced or your knee replaced. Well. That was something that Dr. Pope, who founded Dimacron, just didn't like. He's like, why should a patient have to go back for a surgery? No one wants to go for a surgery in the first place. Why go back for a second one? So um, that's uh, that's what, you know, the problem that's being solved is wear debris as well as the design that is not complicated, that doesn't have too many parts that could come apart, 
and uh, it's going to last forever. And that's where that trilobe design comes in, correct? Correct. The trilobe, both uh, you know, simplistic design, but uh, stable. Uh, the motion profile, as analyzed by the top biomechanical labs in the world for orthopedics, show that the the motion profile of the trilobe is much uh, more similar to a normal anatomic uh, spinal disc than a more traditional ball and socket or other designs that have lots of different moving parts. And anytime you design something with moving parts, there's more more moving parts. There's more that can fail and come apart uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, come apart in the body, which is not a good thing. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and actually here, for those who are watching on YouTube and Spotify, you'll be able to see my screen shortly, but I'm going to bring up an image of that trilobe design just so you can see it. So why, you know, why, why were, why were implants designed any other way? Well, I think Omar, it was just that uh, that's that's the way that uh, the the tradition and the experience in orthopedics, and that's often the way in our industry, is just incremental improvements off of what the history was in other spaces, like uh, other total joints in orthopedics. So wow. the first the first artificial discs uh, are, um, in fact, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world today uh, in in spine and not so much in orthopedics, but in spine is Medtronic, which you and I both right. work for. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, their artificial disc is actually a metal on metal ball and socket design. So you scratch your head and say, well, how, how you know, would I want to have that in my disc or my family member's disc? Uh, it's results are good. It works well, but it's also well known that there's going to be wear properties in that product. If you look at the image, you just put up there in the spine, you can see that the Dimacron disc has a portion of it, the articulating portion right there, the black portion is the polycrystalline diamond. Above that is actually a cobalt chrome. And above that with the, with the two keels is a titanium with titanium plasma spray. That part is in the bone of the vertebrae of the spine. So that's not articulating, but that holds the product uh, in a press fit manner without bone cement or, or anything like that, um, which is used in hips and knees, but uh, to hold it in place while the uh, product design of the three lobes articulates very naturally. Got it. Got it. And, you know, one of the things you, you have here on your investment page is that you guys have, uh, first of all, you've implanted in uh, 500 plus patients already, which is great. So you guys are past the, are you guys FDA cleared then here in the United States? We are not FDA cleared yet. We are okay. cleared in Europe. So the regulatory oh, okay. body is the CE mark. And uh, Dimacron actually got the first you know, clearance through CE mark for Europe eight years ago. So 2014, um, they got it. And people in the industry uh, kind of know that in Europe, they changed the rules or guidelines for having that approval, that CE mark approval. In about 2017, they made it. They tried to make it more difficult to get a CE mark and to maintain your CE mark. So um, for that reason, uh, uh, many companies kind of uh, withdrew or decided not to continue to focus on the European market because of the cost and the, uh, the difficulty of either getting your first CE mark or maintaining your CE mark. So um, Dimacron actually lost their uh, notified body, which is your representative in Europe in that process because about 80% of all of those 
agents that were helping small med tech companies or any med tech company get into CE Mark went out of business. So uh, that became very difficult. And so Dimicron uh, started their first case in 2000, December of 2014, um, but in a very controlled way has been selectively at special uh, identified centers, primarily in Germany and now in Spain, implanting the product, not just selling the product in order to drive top line growth, but to validate the clinical success of the product and the market acceptance of the product. And um, so there's a long history. In fact, I met with the very first patient who was a U.S. citizen uh, who had it done in December of 2014 last month. I tracked him down, uh, lives in Colorado now, and was uh, operated on by a U.S. surgeon that was operating at an ambulatory surgery center in Cyprus that a group of uh, oh, yeah, U.S. Right, surgeons right close owned. To, close to Turkey, yeah. Right. So, so uh, his college roommate actually became an orthopedic spine surgeon and advised him he had learned about the the uh the man-made diamond disc said i i can tell you you do need to have surgery you do need to have a, a an artificial disc definitely recommend motion versus fusion get a disc mm -hmm. instead of getting fused and i would i i can help you i'll introduce you to the company because i know surgeons that own this are part owners in the surgery center, but I would recommend you fly to Cyprus and get this diamond disc as opposed to what we have today. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what he did. And uh, he's doing great. The great part of the story is that he is a healthcare uh, professional. He actually runs a, an ambulatory surgery center in, in, uh, in Colorado. So he, he knows, you know, the questions to ask the people to look for. And this is the choice that he took. The great news is last month, he's doing fantastic. So I'm going to be doing a patient testimonial video with him soon. And uh, eight years out, he's uh, he's out and about in Colorado with, with his family and his kids doing uh, doing the active things that people that want to keep their emotion are able to do. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, you know, it's nice to see, I mean, at least from an investment standpoint, you guys have 83 patents. So, again, like, you know, back in the day, it was easier in MedTech. Right now, MedTech companies, I think, uh, they're designed to do one of two things, whether it's implant or robotics or anything else, is to uh, launch and then go public, IPO, and then get acquired or stay private and get uh, acquired. And, you know, for you guys, aside from like a very unique uh, design and materials structure, you have 83 patents. And so that's really good to hear. And, and what do you know when your patent cliff is, which is, you know, for the audience, that's usually when the patent ends. Yeah, so we've kept the patent portfolio very robust, and that was a priority for the founder because he was a university professor. IP was very important to him, so they continued to keep that strong. The cliff is still good for at least another 10 years, but what's also unique about uh, what we have right. at Dimacron is the proprietary manufacturing process. This is not a process that someone's going to be able to duplicate. You know, it's a very, very... Uh, specific process uh, that's been developed and, and refined over the years. And it, it's an incredible um, process to take diamond powder is how it starts with diamond powder and then various layers of different materials that are put into a mold and then pressed with this huge press that's about 60 tons in weight, about nine foot tall, nine foot deep, nine foot wide, and that applies a million pounds per square inch 
at 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit over four minutes. And so this diamond, everything melts together. The, the cobalt chrome, the titanium, and the um, polycrystalline diamond into one form factor that then is spit out of the press, you know, and then uh, polished to finish uh, every four minutes. So it's not something that we machine together. It's, uh, it's something that someone's not going to just even in China go and, 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 and recreate very, very easily. Yeah. And, you know, just on the market side, so, you know, you guys uh, have listed that, you know, essentially a better disc replacement would be worth a billion dollars because degenerative disc disease is the second most common reason to visit the doctor behind, of course, the common cold. And then artificial cervical discs are the fastest growing segment of the spine market. Um, so a functional uh, lasting solution to this problem has definitely massive market potential. Um, so again, just reading off your site, and you guys have references for this. Again, if you're interested in these uh, data points and some of the more information, just go to invest.dimacron.com. So billion dollar global cervical market, right? With 800,000 cervical implant procedures. So you guys essentially are looking more on the cervical side versus say thoracic and lumbar, but do you have, do you have products that can start moving more into thoracic and lumbar areas or is it mainly cervical? It's primarily cervical. And that's a matter of focus, Omar, you know, for the company. It's a, it's a small company, 17 full-time employees, but the application and potential for uh, lumbar and the low back, where the other, the rest of the motion preservation market in spine is, is there, particularly the trilobe. But, but even more exciting is the other areas of orthopedics. Think about total ankle, to, back to total knees, ah, total hips. So that that makes that makes it a much more interesting acquisition target uh, for like these larger strategics, whether it's Stryker, Medtronic, or Zimmer or anybody else, because essentially they can acquire the IP and then apply it to these other areas, right? So that yes. IP portfolio actually expands based on that. It does, and 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 part of that IP is applications across the entire human body for polycrystalline diamond and the form and the factor of this material. So. Yeah, and that trilobe design, do you guys have a utility patent on that trilobe design? We do, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Because I'm one, you know, the, uh, just thinking about it, of course, like, so one thing I like about uh, about this, you know, I like companies that are hyper-focused because when you're hyper-focused, you're able to drive adoption much faster and then, you know, have customer success. Um, one of the concerns I had for you guys is like, okay, are they going to be doing this thing where you're going the whole spine, right? Because once you get into the thoracic, especially the lumbar area, I mean, you're, you're dealing with a lot, you know, like really massive companies, that's their bread and butter. And they're not going to just let you walk in and just take their business from them. But the cervical area is kind of underserved. And it's, and again, it's growing. So I like that you guys have this focus there that that's your that's your beachhead to conquer. But then essentially, if, uh, if the company were to acquire you guys or partner with you, they're able to expand to all these areas like that trilobe design. Again, I, I, haven't, I haven't worked in the knee space or articulating joints, but I would imagine that trilobe design, if it's dealing with the cervical spine, which requires a lot of uh, 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 movement, right, and articulation, that would be really good for things like wrist, ankles, you know, knees, I would imagine as well. Yep. No, absolutely. You think about upper extremity, like you said, wrists, uh, metacarpal joints, uh, lower extremity, ankle, where there's a lot of you know force and pressure, and you you want stability. And one of the things that the trilobe provides is a self-centering, uh, super stable you know structure. And in the neck, be a ball and socket, uh, you know, still puts 
pressure and forces on the facets, which is another joints associated with each single, every single uh, spinal joint has got a couple of different facet joints. And then you've got all the ligaments. So you want to take mm -hmm. the pressure off of those. And, and, and the trilobe does that and has a motion profile with the center of rotation uh, being um, dynamic and, and more natural to the normal center of rotation of where a, a, an anatomic disc is. So that's the beauty of it. And cervical spine is the, um, the one of the fastest growing areas because it can be done in an ambulatory surgery center. So it's a simple procedure uh, versus lumbar uh, a disc. Uh, you have to partner, a spine surgeon has to partner with a, a vascular surgeon to do, because it's an anterior approach primarily. There are mm. some other companies today looking at, you know, coming at it from a from a posterior or lateral approach, right, but, uh, right, right. you know, anterior approach is going to require a uh, partnership with another surgeon. And, uh, it's a hospital based procedure, not, not an ambulatory surgery based. That's Got where it. the market is Got going it. and very quickly today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the thing that COVID, uh, uh, really drove was if you can't have care delivered at home, you want it to be very close by. And even for me, you know, I just want to, the American Academy of Neurosurgeries, uh, neurosurgeons this weekend in LA, and even some of these, uh, you know, more, you know, like they're, again, this is neurosurgery. And a lot of the companies I spoke with are focusing a lot on being able to service adoption in these ambulatory surgery centers, because people don't want to drive to, uh, you know, the city, and even if they can, like they just, you know, not everybody can afford to do that because when you go, when you go into the city, like you have to get a hotel, there's all these things. It's very difficult on the patient. Right. And so, um, if it's not being at being done at home, like these ambulatory surgery centers, which service a much you know larger population, right. I think what there's like, I don't know, 15,000 hospitals in the United States, but there's like 120, 150,000 ASCs. Yes. Which is a much, much bigger market. So let's talk about the investment side. So. I see on your website, you guys are, uh, your offerings at $5 and 75, $5 and 75 cents a share. What's the minimum investment? The minimum investment is a thousand dollars, Omar. So at $5 and 75, that's 174 shares. These are common shares, common, uh, equity, uh, non-voting shares. And the value is, uh, at that point today, but as we grow and our milestones are achieved, uh, like getting into the FDA study, and we're we're in the discussions right now with FDA. We've already got a round of questions on our first study. Once that happens, the value is going to go up. So now is a great time to invest in Dimicron at the front end of our study, and at the kind of still the front end I consider of our international commercialization efforts, because we're now getting a lot of interest from other markets that uh, will recognize the CE mark. You know, places mm -hmm. like Australia, places like areas in Asia, and even in South America, where selectively we're going to pick the best of the best surgeons and sites. But there's a lot of opportunity for us to continue to grow. So now's a great time to invest and partner with us. We're looking to partner with equity crowdfund investors because you will be part of this this story going forward as we achieve our mission of getting as many of these uh innovative discs into needy patients as possible around the world. 
in the, and ultimately in the right hands. And the, in the right hands means a company like a Medtronic, a Stryker that has the commercial infrastructure to gain more market share than Diamond Cron could do by ourselves. But that's where an investor is going to see a return. Once these companies, which do not even have an artificial disc today, like Johnson & Johnson, if you can believe it, do not have a, a an artificial disc. Stryker does not even have an artificial disc today. Medtronic, as I mentioned earlier, has a, one of the very first generation discs of metal on metal. So as this market continues to grow and go beyond a billion dollars, these company have, companies need, and we know, because I know them all, I worked at most of them, uh, are interested in this 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 market and, and in what we're doing at Dimacron. Got it. Yeah. And let's just talk, you know, just as we kind of wrap things up a little bit about the investment. So um, first of all, like um, how much are you guys trying to raise? And then what, once you finish that raise, what are the funds going to? I know that you guys are ending your raise, I think in the next month or two. So, so, you know, when, when does the raise, when does the race close? And then when you finish the raise, what are you going to use the funds for? Yeah. So right now uh, we haven't set a close date, but we're looking to do it this summer. And here we are looking at uh, May, you know, right around the corner next week and uh, or in two weeks. Um, so the, the the timing is coming to a close. We're, we're looking to raise 15.8 million. And this is our first time out in a, in a Regulation A uh, equity crowdfund. Uh, the primary use of funds is for the FDA studies. You know, these FDA studies are quite expensive. And to gain the most value for Dimacron, we plan to do two studies, one for a, a single level application of the disk and a second study is required for two levels. So each of those studies will be roughly $20 million uh, cost uh, each. Uh, so we're, we're, uh, we're being conservative and going out with our first raise at 15.8, just under 16 million to confirm that this is a this is a viable way for us to attract investors and we're excited so far we've we've gotten a, a great response a lot of interest uh we've got um you know dozens of investors already signed up and uh invested in in and a lot of people uh excited about reinvesting and coming in further before the valuation goes up got it and then um what are some of the milestones and value inflection points that you see for Dimacron? I think the primary ones, Omar, are uh, getting the pathway, getting the green light from the FDA to start the study, and then initiating those U.S. clinical results is a second one. We are fortunate in that we have the support of some of the best-known spine surgeons in, in the world that are here in the U.S. to be our, our study leaders. The co-lead investigators are Dr. Rick Geyer from the Texas Back Institute in Dallas and Dr. Pierce Nunley from the, the Louisiana Spine Institute. These are two surgeons that are have, have participated in, in most of, of, of the other disc arthroplasty, uh, artificial disc trials. And then uh, a third site is in our backyard in Salt Lake City where the company's headquartered, Dr. Armin Kachatryan who is recognized world over as a disc arthroplasty expert and uh, works at both in Salt Lake City and an ambulatory surgery center in Park City, Utah. So those will be our first three sites. These guys are excited to participate, to be involved in the next generation uh, design. And again, as you mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, Omar, this is not just a, an idea and a napkin sketch. This is something that 
has over 500, now over 600 actually, discs that are in place in Europe, some of them over eight years now, doing well. And so we just need to get into the U.S. market, which is the biggest market in the world. And uh, and there's a lot of interest by U.S. patients that are suffering from cervical degenerative disc disease that are calling me, sending the company emails saying, I want to be part of the trial. Some of them asking, where can I go in Europe to get a disc? I'm willing to pay. Uh, how do I do it? Interesting. Yeah. And this this whole... Um... The whole world of I wouldn't call it concierge medicine. I, I can't I can't. But essentially, um, you know, medical tourism. Yeah, medical tourism. Thank you. Very, thank you very much. You know, it's becoming more popular. Like even me, you know, I have very good health insurance, but there are certain things where um, care access to certain technology is just going to be better. You know, so for me, I've just like last year, there was a couple of things that I actually went out of pocket for just because the quality is going to be better and I didn't have to wait. You know, so I think more and more patients are taking, uh, they're educating themselves and they're using the internet to to learn more about these different procedures and get access to them outside of the U.S. You know, last thing I kind of want to wrap up with is, you know, this is one of the more important questions is, what, what can it, you know, so if if, if somebody listening to the show goes and invests $1,000 in Dimacron, for example, so the minimum investment is $1,000, the yeah. there is, and then after that, there's really, is there a limit? Uh, no, there's no limit. There's no limit. Uh, the platform the transfer agent we use is a company called DealMaker. So when you go to the invest.dimacron.site, you'll be uh, introduced to the DealMaker site where they have a questionnaire to walk you through the investment. And there's different levels of investment. So you could do a thousand uh, is the minimum, but you can go. We've got investors that have put in as as much as thirty thousand dollars. Got it. Uh, and you can be, you know, the nice thing about these equity crowdfunding. Uh, um, platforms that you don't have to be an accredited investor. You can just be a, like, this is just like the kick. This is like Kickstarter, except for, for, for med tech, you know? So, right. So my question, my last, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ted. No, I was going to say Kickstarter. I react to it because uh, the board of directors at Dimacron, when I mentioned the idea of doing crowdfunding, you know, they, they generally, like most people didn't, didn't understand crowdfunding they thought it is this kickstarter is this like gofundme for 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 medical devices I said no this has now become a actually a, a pretty sophisticated uh way for private companies to raise money and the u.s yeah. government and the sec are supporting it so last year alone 2022 some of the stats uh there was over almost two billion dollars was raised through equity crowdfunding whereas it was only you know eight years earlier maybe just over 100 million that right. pales in comparison to the amount that was raised through venture capitalists, which is $500 billion. But it's a start. Equity it's crowdfunding start, yeah. is becoming uh, a thing. Yeah. And I think a lot, especially for med tech, um, you know, there's certain companies like Monogram Orthopedics, they raised $20 million. I think a lot of companies prefer to go this route because you're not giving up control of your company. You're not getting uh, bullied by VCs right? In terms of your valuation. And hypothetically, I mean, you essentially have an army of marketers and salespeople who, you know, who believe in the product, we're going to talk about it and everything. So like, it's a great way to get traction in your commercial launch. Uh, last question for you is, realistically, somebody invests $1,000, what can they expect in terms of the timing and size of their return? Just conservatively speaking? Yeah, conservatively. Um, you know, we've looked at uh, when setting our valuation, um, comparable deal values in, in spine and orthopedic acquisitions. 
So over the past five to six years, you look at all the list of companies that have been acquired for spine and generally orthopedics, the average um, M&A size of the, those deals is around, uh, of like companies is around 300 million. And the, the, the median average is actually 500 million and the median is about 300 million. So, you know, there's a three to five X, you know, return uh, for a, a disruptive, innovative technology that is really helping people. So it's kind of an impact play, particularly for investors that, that suffer from degenerative disease or have family members that do. And, you know, the time frame is, again, it's a three to five year. It's going to take us five years to get the FDA study done and completed. But once the U.S. clinical results are in play and looking good, on top of the international results, there is the likely potential for a, a transaction to occur such that so a strategic doesn't want to miss out on a truly, true, truly leading next generation product. Got it. Got it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it makes sense to, at least from what I've seen, a lot of these larger companies like Baxter is a great example. Um, but same with like Strike and Medtronic, you know, they're they're doing less of these big transformative deals, which are in the billions of dollars, looking more into these tuck-in deals where they can acquire technology, $500 million or less, that's going to tuck into their core business. And so, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense based on the market. Uh, the technology seems to be great. It's great that you guys have a fantastic patent portfolio. And it was very interesting to hear that um, even like J&J, I didn't realize that they don't have a product like this in their portfolio. And they're, you know, they're one of the biggest med tech companies on planet Earth. I mean, yeah after Medtronic, but still like if you include J&J's pharma division, like they are the largest med tech company. Yep. You know? And then you consider all the emerging players, the fastest market share growers in spine today are public companies like Alpha Tech. Um, yeah, you've Alpha got, Tech's taken off. Yeah. You know, they're taken off. They're, they're, they, they told Wall Street that they're going to be at almost $500 million in sales this year. And that's incredible. They don't, they don't have a motion preservation uh, product. And then there's a lot of private equity owned companies you know, like uh, CoreLink, like Zavation, like Spinal Elements, that all are looking to be a factor in the marketplace and grow and not just by, you know, having a robot and, and something else, but having having a, a play in the fastest growing implant segment of the market. And then there's the international companies. There's some Asian companies that are have not really ever been successful in the U.S. market, but there's a lot of very... Um, wealthy, uh, well-financed international companies that want to have an impact in the U.S. market. And in fact, part of doing a equity crowdfund and doing the online marketing brings, again, your awareness of your company and your technology to the marketplace. And we're already getting inquiries from new strategics that I didn't even think about. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I like, you know, so I like, I like the, the tech, I like what you guys are doing. And then more importantly, you know, I actually think in a way, it's kind of a good thing that you guys aren't commercial yet in the US. Because I think, you know, seeing, seeing that you're getting traction in the international markets in Europe and other places, you know, um, if you guys stay the course, I don't think it would be too far fetched to think that you put enough pressure on the market that strategic comes and acquires you guys right before you go in your commercial launch here in the US. So that's fantastic. Well, yeah. Ted, really appreciate you coming on the show. And for those listening, again, a couple of reminders. Number one, if you're a clinician, be sure to go and click the link below 
unlock that uh, continuing medical education credit, just 30 seconds, write down what you, what you learned from the episode. And for any of you who are interested in investing in Dimecron, I really recommend you go and read their uh, investment page. So you can go to that at invest.dimecron.com. So I'm Omar Khatib, your host of the State of MedTech, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of the State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show, or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care. And we'll see you next time.